Hello and welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. This is the podcast where every week we review a classic pro wrestling event from a streaming service. And that classic pro wrestling event could be a major arena card from the territory days. It could be a television special such as Clash of the Champions or Saturday Night's main event. Uh, Or it could be a pay-per-view event, in this case from the In Your House series from the mid-90s in the WWF. In Your House, Beware of Dog. That's right. From May 26th and May 28th, 1996, we'll explain later. (laughs) But first, let's explain a little bit about how this show works in case you're new to the show. Every single week, we dump a bunch of shows into the randomizer. We fire it up, and it picks the event that Adam just described. It picks that type of event. We watch that show. We review that show. All picked at random. We don't, as as seen by this show tonight, I would have never picked this out of a list of shows. I didn't even yeah, know this show have, existed. We have no say in what we end up watching, and that is the fun. That is the concept. And as you're about to describe to everyone, Jeremy, if this randomizer has worked, we sure as hell would not be picking In Your House Beware of Dog as the season finale episode of this podcast. That's right. Season one finale. So we've gone through the there's an entire back catalog of this podcast and you can go all the way back to season one where we uh, to episode one of season one where we started with In Your House from 1995 and we ended here with an In Your House from 96. In between, we've got all kinds of shows from 2003 WWF pay-per-views to uh, world-class championship wrestling from the early 80s to uh, the last battle of Atlanta in Georgia championship wrestling 1983 a lot of 90s WCW including one of the best war games matches in history so the greatest match in North American history I would just say <laughs> so, um, I, we also we've reviewed several AWA shows which were not good but they were good podcasts Hundred percent, and you know we could talk about the back catalog all day, but we've got to get to this show. So I do want to make mention that this is the season finale. We will be back for a season two, and so you need to make sure that you're you stay subscribed to this podcast. Tell your friends to subscribe to the podcast because the season two trailer will be up soon, and then the episodes again will be weekly as we roll out season two of this podcast. We're gonna freshen up the randomizer with some new content options and we'll see what it picks for us into season two so in the meantime this is your opportunity to catch up on that back catalog go back you, you might have skipped an episode you, you might have been picking and choosing some shows you were familiar with go back and pick some other shows that you you might not be familiar with but you'll you'll learn something we'll have fun and we'll make fun of some stuff, and we'll have uh, <laughs> a, it, it's it's definitely worth going back, even though they didn't come out this week. If you hadn't listened to it, it's still new to you. So go back and listen to those shows. These, this is evergreen content. It's there waiting patiently for you to listen. I'll tell you what I'm waiting patiently for: a listener created fashion corner compilation <laughs> someday. <laughs> and. We love to interact with our listeners, so make sure that you're following us on social media at Wrestle at Random on Twitter and Instagram. That is the best way to interact with the show is uh, directly through Twitter. Uh, if you stay off of Twitter because it's a cesspool, that's totally fine too. Email the show wrestling at random at gmail.com works just as well. All of those links are available at the website along with the entire back catalog 
wrestlingatrandom.com. So with that, let's take a look at this show, WWF In Your House, Beware of Dog. Now, the first night of this show took place May 26th, 1996. That's one week after the famous curtain call at Madison Square Garden. That was where Scott Hall and Kevin Nash's last night were with the, the WWF. After the Diesel versus Michaels cage match main event, Hall, Nash, Michaels, and Triple H, all members of the Click, came out to do a curtain call and a big group hug and celebrate with the fans after the show. This was this was done without permission from management, and Hunter Hearst Helmsley would ultimately be the one punished <laughs> for this action because, uh, you know. Hall and Nash were gone. Michaels was the champ and the the number one guy. So the punishment fell on Helmsley. He would eventually uh, lose a King of the Ring match to Jake the Snake Roberts shortly thereafter. Uh, The night after this show airs, this pay-per-view, and before night two of this show, there was a head-to-head with Monday Night Raw was the first ever WCW two-hour Nitro telecast. The big news on that show was the debut of Scott Hall. Wow, that's crazy. So this, <laughs> the 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 two nights that, that comprise this In Your House uh, bookend of one of the biggest nights and one of the most important nights in modern wrestling history. That's right. It was incredibly important because it would lead to the formation of the NWO and become a, a turning point in the Monday Night Wars. We start night one with a video package showing... And let's let's just be clear, and we'll get to it in more detail. This was not planned to be a two this was... nights over the course of three calendar nights pay-per-view. Uh, no, Mother this... Nature got involved, as we'll hear. This was planned to be a one-night pay-per-view on a Sunday evening, followed by Raw on, on television on Monday. Tuesday, because Monday uh, was, was a holiday. It was uh, the Memorial Day holiday. They had Tuesday planned for the replay of this show. So the Sunday night pay-per-view was going to be replayed on Tuesday. They'd hope they'd get some uh, some some buys of the replay coming off of the holiday weekend. So that was the original schedule. That schedule got turned upside down, like you mentioned, by Mother Nature. We'll get there. Uh, be, but first, we start the show with a video package showing Shawn Michaels as the leader of the new generation celebrating and, as champion and also Shawn michaels as apparently a quote-unquote womanizer who is harassing davy boy smith the british bulldog's wife diana hart smith uh we also got the video introduction to this show which is as early computer generated video 90s as it gets this hilariously cheesy video of a dog barking and a dog pound, uh, which we see multiple times on this show. And then we get a stamp that says, beware of dog. And then we are welcomed by Vince McMahon to the great state of South Carolina and the beware of dog pay-per-view. Oh, this was, we, we, we had a great, we had a really rocking in your house song also. Yes, that accompanied yes that's that. right. <laughs> and we're in Florence, South Carolina at the Civic Center. Uh, Vince Which McMahon and Jerry was, Lawler are the announced team. This was the first 
Well, and I guess coming up two days later will be the second and, and then the only WWF pay-per-views ever in South Carolina. Yeah, Lawler says that Michaels needs to defend his title and prove that he's not a womanizer. I don't think that will happen. Well, yes, I don't think that will happen. And how would one beget the other? <laughs> it's my thought. How is Sean here in this wrestling match going to convince the world that he is not a womanizer? But in any event, that's a question for, uh, well, I won't say hours down the road because that match comes up more quickly on this broadcast than we would expect. There's Instead, a- we we hear the other member or, or the, the aforementioned uh, now being punished member of the clique, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, who still has his very lame music and his fake full British gear uh, and a random woman uh, as he makes his way to the ring. And they tell us that he used to be with the woman now known as Sable. I don't have any recollection of Hunter Hearst Helmsley and Sable being a thing, but they tell us that here. Yeah, and and we get a good look at the crowd here. We've got about there's there's about six thousand fans in attendance. The building's set up for nine thousand four hundred, and the gate for this event sixty three thousand four hundred thirty five dollars. And we get a little video recap showing us uh, WWF superstars Bob Backlund had the crossface chicken wing on Mark Marrow and. Wild Man Mark Miro. You're contractually obligated to refer to him as Wild Man Mark Miro every time you say his name. That's what I took away from this entire match. Yes, just like you have to say Return of RoboCop anytime you say Capital Combat 90. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Also, how about the fact that like they were still doing angles on superstars in 96? That was the most shocking thing to me here. I I did not think they were still doing angles of any kind on that show. Uh, that late into the Monday Night Raw era. They did. We saw Hunter giving Mero a pedigree on the show and setting up this feud in the back. Doc, don't call me Michael P.S. Hayes Hendricks, is interviewing the wild man, Mark Mero, who is <laughs> don't call me Johnny B. Bad. The, the best way I can describe Mark Mero uh, as a character on these shows is imagine that you took Everything away from Johnny B. Bad that made him come off as remotely charismatic, you would have Mark Merrow. Yeah, the wild man Mark Merrow character was, he was in between his Johnny B. Bad WCW character and the character he'd eventually be like a boxing type of guy character. So he's he's in this in-between phase at this point as just the wild man. And he's with Sable. And Sable would go on to actually become one of the most famous acts during the Attitude Era, and wife, uh, future wife of Brock Lesnar. Well, how about this promo? It, it's it exists. He says today's the dawning of a new day in the life of the Wild Man. He then says, "Welcome to the jungle," and then the promo ends with him just opening his mouth and walking toward the camera. Okay. Helmsley tries to attack before the bell, but Wild Man with a flurry of punches knocks Helmsley to the floor. And a plunge well, briefly, over the top rope by Mero. Can we briefly mention Mero's look? Because it is a look here. As we talked about before, the, the very flamboyant Johnny B. Bad character. Here he is wearing, they're like these rubbery black trunks with like leopard print on the side. Uh, Sable is also wearing leopard print. So at least partially. So I guess like the idea here is that because he's a wild man, he is a leopard. 
I, I really, yeah. yes, this was a, a half baked character, um, which in some ways you could say that about a lot of the, uh, the initial run of the guys that came from that like mid nineties dump of talented WCW mid card talent, like Mark Miro, like the ringmaster priest, uh, stone cold Steve Austin. Um, but yeah, this is, that's the look. And then uh, triple H Hunter, it sounds like basically looks exactly like he did in 1995 sort of the the long pants uh definitely nothing near his his look that he'd have as the triple h character no and very lean and yes and not as as thick and and, and muscular as you think you know more of a lean fit uh type of look almost more of a rick rude build than like a giant huge guy yeah this crowd early does not care about anything in this match incorrect there is one woman <laughs> in this crowd who the entire show, she screams like a banshee, and I cannot make out a single word that she says, but it is nonstop. There's one point uh, in the, well, in the main event, which is the second match on the show that I'll, I'll point out later that just had me just rolling. I, I know what you're talking about, and I have some follow-up on that as well. Uh, it is weird, though, to see you know a crowd like this just dead for an opener. Usually the yeah. crowd is super hot, and this was... Well, there were the other matches, though. They, so there was the, the tag title match on the free-for-all, and then there were two other dark matches prior. So they, they were... Which is an interesting strategy to roll into your pay-per-view with the fourth match for the live crowd. <laughs> Mero goes shoulder first into the post and stays there holding the position, selling a shoulder injury pretty hard. Helmsley then sends him into the post again, and Mero goes out to the floor. We got to see Helmsley back in the ring uh, with Mero. He hit the divorce court arm takedown, which I love because it doesn't just separate your shoulder. It divorces it. Again, uh, all royalties go to Joey Styles for that. I still like to call it the arm DDT, but that is a cute <laughs> name for it as well. Uh, at, at this point, as they work through uh, the match, uh, Triple H hits a high knee, only gets a two count. Then we get something from Vince McMahon on commentary here on Play by Play, and I need more information on this. He says that the officiating has been suspect as of late in the World Wrestling Federation and that Harvey Whippleman is going to do something about it. Yeah, what? I had I had made a note of that as well. I'm like that Harvey Whippleman is he in charge of the referees now? <laughs> I I do not understand. I have no. Uh, I I just I don't get what that was. But this was also at the point where I really noticed the loud screaming lady, uh, and it threw me for a second. But yeah, then after that, Miro uh, counters the uh, the attempted knee to the stomach with a roll up, only gets two. No, he's only got uh, one then- arm, so he can't really do a roll up. It doesn't work. Well, he he hits the roll up, then he goes for the backslide. His arm goes out when he goes for the backslide. I loved that. Yes, he was too injured for the backslide attempt, and then we got we got great camera work here as Marrow's in an arm bar, and he's reaching for the ropes, and Helmsley uses his leg to pull the head back of Marrow and roll him back towards the middle. Good good camera work, good production here. It was very non-WWF camera work. It looked like something you would see in New Japan, whether it be yes. back then or or modern times, the way they, they documented this. I also was amused by when Triple H locks on this cross arm breaker, this arm bar, Vince McMahon calls it, quote, somewhat of a submission hold. 
<laughs> the, him and Lawler had no idea what anything was all night long. <laughs> no, no. And thankfully, we'll get to it. We we uh, we don't have to deal with them for this whole two oh, days, which is nice. We'll, we'll get um, there. But yes, Triple H continues to work over the arm. Knee drops to the back of the arm. Uh, at this point, I note that Mark Miro's, you know, he throws some right hands to the stomach to get out of it. Triple H with an eye poke. And then I write another arm ringer. Jesus Christ. Hunter working this, over the arm forever. Ugh. This heat segment of this match was honestly probably only second to the the interminable uh, <laughs> Marty Jannetty heat <laughs> segment in that AWA 87 show where like Every time, every time you thought Miro's comeback was going to lead to something other than him having his arm worked over, nope, cut off, arm ringer, arm bar. Like this, this match went forever. It, yes. it felt like it. And for a show that's, again, these in your house shows, which we, we explained, uh, if you want more context, go back and listen to episode one of this podcast where we go into great detail about what the idea was behind these shows. But these were, cut rate cheaper shows as far as the price and only two hours instead of the normal three hour pay-per-view time so i expected like a quick hit opener and this was not that no helmsley up top gets crotched by marrow marrow with a top rope rana and then marrow with a comeback firing up nobody cares still no that crowd Mero with a sunset flip off the top rope for a near fall. One of the dumbest moves in the history of professional wrestling. I don't know if we've we've if we talked about that in previous Johnny no. B. Bad appearances, but this is like on the level. Uh, in some ways, even dumber than the Bubba Bomb, which we've excoriated I, no, week in and week out. That is that's a really terrible move. This 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 is a real move. <laughs> well, it's a real move, but so the concept here is you are basically going to jump off the top rope leap high into the air, <laughs> somersault, take a full-on back bump, grab the guy's legs from behind, and that is somehow going to not hurt you. It is somehow going to allow hit you to lock this sunset flip on more uh, more powerfully than you would have if you just did a regular sunset flip and you're going to be able to hold the guy down. Like It's, it's visually impressive when you think about it for a half second. It's nonsensical. Granted, it's pro wrestling, so... Right, Whatever. all of the physics but, are around. It just makes you pull the guy down with more success, <laughs> but it doesn't have anything to do with holding him down or or anything like that. But but you should have more momentum to pull the guy down. I could see you that. You should, yeah. but the 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 counter argument to that is if you jumped off the top rope, did that exact same somersault with your opponent laying on his back, and your opponent moved and you landed. You would be down and out. Yes, there's way too much risk for the reward of a top rope sunset flip. Hundred percent. Oh, anyway, Helmsley's uh, gone. Helmsley's on the outside. Merrill runs, does a flip over the top rope where he holds the top rope, so it's not as dangerous as it sounds. But as he comes down, landing on his feet, as Hunter had moved out of the way. Marrow then falls to the ground, holding his knee like he blew it out on on that move on the way down. So now he has a bad arm and a bad knee. And to be to be honest, it looked like he may have actually tweaked the knee. Yeah, um, I don't know if he did or it was not. A great it replay. Sure like it. Yeah, it, on it, the replay, slow motion. He turns his knee when he landed, so it looks like he could have injured it. 
but yes. it it was it looked like it was just a great job by Marrow in, in selling the injury. Yes, it was a great a great sell of like a potential MCL injury, but uh, the match continued. Helmsley yells at Sable, "Watch this!" as he picks Marrow up for a pedigree. She turns away to not watch, and Helmsley stops, just hits Marrow with a forearm. He goes out, grabs Sable by the arm, yells again for her to watch this. Marrow then counters the pedigree into a well, sleeve she, shot. She first tries to hit him with that whip that she carried. Yes. That, because because he's a wild man that is apparently a tiger or a lion, uh, according to the leopard print. And she is a lion or tiger tamer because she has the whip. This is the, the untold story of this, this <laughs> duo. I don't know. Marrow, uh, his counter was to the pedigree as a slingshot. Hunter's head hits the top of the ring post. Marrow then on top for the cover. He gets the three count. 16 minutes, 23 oh. seconds for that opener. I felt every second of it. Again, like it wasn't it was good. Ter- I mean, it was, it was uh, good. Is you, it was good. It was just a long arm <laughs> working was, over the arm heat segment. But uh, it was, it was good. fine. Neither guy was bad, but I cannot call that match good. If that match, if they did an 11-minute version of that match, I would say it was a good opener. This was two good wrestlers having an okay match. In the back, Mr. Perfect is interviewing quite a cast of characters here. Okay, <laughs> see ever. We've got Jim Cornette, the British Bulldog, Owen Hart, Diana Hart-Smith, some dude I don't know, and Clarence Mason in a suit holding a cane with his arm in a sling and a neck he's, brace on. He's like almost in a full body cast. It, it, somehow in this uh, this rogues gallery, the thing that stands out to me and I need answers on is why is Owen Hart wearing a Michigan University tracksuit? It's weird. Why? And, and then he's got a WWF hat on, which is the same colors as the Michigan University tracksuit. But what, I don't understand that. The, the thing to note out of this is that they tell us that Owen Hart got a one night South Carolina manager's license. So yes, he will be in the corner. Only, he will manage the British Bulldog. But that's not Cornette's bombshell. He's going to drop a bombshell later tonight. And then we're back at ringside. Vince thanks us for our patience during the storm, okay? Well, at first, I thought he was thanking us for our patience for sitting through that opener. <laughs> I was like, that's weird, but I appreciate it. So what happened was, on the live pay-per-view, after the helmsley Merrow match, power went out for more than an hour in the building due to the storm outside. While the pay-per-view broadcast was shut down, they presented the scheduled matches in the arena with battery-operated cameras a low-power generator, making the matches barely visible to the spectators. Well, and, and they yes, barely visible is kind because they we get a clip later we'll a on clip in this later. show uh, of one of the matches that was happening during this power outage, and it was happening in the dark. This was the answer to what is a lights out match? That <laughs> was a- actually a lights out match. Yeah, the footage was nowhere close to broadcast quality no. or able to be aired, so the decision was made to air the three missing matches live from North Charleston, South Carolina, during the the slot that the replay show would have aired in, they're going to air those matches live two days later. So and my, my understanding or my assumption, I should say, based off of just their, their tour routing at that time and the look of the building, which we'll get to uh, after the next match, 
is that 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 must have been an already scheduled house show, house show yeah. that they just converted into broadcasting uh, pay-per-view, which all some thoughts, by the way, on the aesthetic of that. Um, but we'll we'll get to that after this main event well, here wait, in match that, two. Before that, so we've so the power is restored in the building, and they see that they've got twenty five minutes left in the show. So they went with this match next, the WWF Championship. Now, the first episode of the season, uh, episode one of this podcast, featured the British Bulldog added in your house in a WWF championship match as well. So With good Diesel. Yeah, good Kevin symmetry. Uh, good symmetry by the randomizer. I like it. Uh, the challenger is the British Bulldog. He's with his wife, Diana Hart-Smith, who's, uh, uh, who's in this feud with Shawn Michaels, where the story is she was coming on to Shawn Michaels. He rejected her, so she called him a homewrecker and and a womanizer and, and was accusing him of all this stuff. And mm-hmm. Owen Hart is the one-time manager's license holder, who will be at ringside as well, against the champion Shawn Michaels and his manager, Jose Lothario. And man, talk about a trip down Fashion Corner with these two. And Jose Lothario did play a legitimate role in, in Shawn Michaels' career. That's how they they happened upon him managing Shawn Michaels. But it is it, it, looking back, it is just such a strange fit. Like the the entire time they're out pre match, match and after match, Michaels does not interact with Lothario at all. No, never. Um, Shawn Michaels is wearing a leather hat uh with purple and silver studs on it uh backstage he's being interviewed by doc Hendricks after a fouled attempt they go back and it works and Shawn michaels says quote this would be a storyline fit for melrose place and, and, and at that point we I, I noticed that jose lothario is wearing a shirt that has about 15 different colors of vertical stripes he's wearing like like khaki slacks and like the most late 80s, early 90s polo shirt you've ever seen out here with Shawn Michaels looking like Shawn Michaels. Uh, and then we also get like backstage, Shawn is heading out towards the ring and he walks by Mr. Perfect and they exchange a look. I expected something to come of that here on the show, but nothing happened. Yeah, and if you want to see Jose Lothario in action, go yes. back to our uh, world-class episode that we did early in the season. It's in the back catalog waiting for you. You can hear about Jose Lothario actually wrestling in the early Com- 80s. And not just wrestling, but competing, I believe, for the Brass Knuckles Championship. With with uh, uh, favorite of this show, Ernie Ladd. Uh, go yes. back to those early episodes to hear us uh, talk about our love of the big cat, Ernie Ladd. So Clarence Mason grabs the microphone, but we can't hear him. Uh, eventually, we do hear him. He says, Sean... You tried to break up the marriage of the British Bulldog and the precious little budding <laughs> tulip, Diana Smith. Now I lost it. It was so funny. And the, the, the Diana Smith, g- by the way, yeah. like she, she's somehow like terrible and great in this role. Like she, she is not very expressive, but she's just expressive enough that there are some there are some moments that while they're not over the top hilarious, had me laughing. Yeah, and and then the, that random guy from earlier serves Michaels with a summons for quote the charge 
attempted alienation of affection. We'll see <laughs> in you this... in the court of law. That is the bombshell. And this, by the way, happened in the middle of the ring. Shawn Michaels is standing in the middle of this professional wrestling ring in his completely ridiculous gear. And this man, this process server, walks into the ring, cuts a promo on him, hands him this, <laughs> and then Shawn Michaels proceeds to rip it up. Yes. And, and Diana is just aghast again, like with this this barely changing facial expression, but there was just something about it that cracked me up. Bulldog attacks, and we're underway. Michaels fights back, gets backdropped over the top rope, lands on the apron, slides back in between the legs of the Bulldog, goes for his super kick, but Bulldog slides out to the floor. Michaels immediately leaps over the top of the plancha to the floor. Good action early. And then we get a long headlock by Michaels. This is where this match gets really, really weird. Uh, Shawn Michaels, yeah, they lock up. He he gets the side headlock on, and it goes on forever. He walks up the walks up the ropes in the corner, hits the side headlock takeover, and holds the the, the move on. This continues on and on and on. At one point, Shawn Michaels is standing in the middle of the ring with a side headlock on the British Bulldog, and they are both just standing there. Shawn Michaels yeah. is standing there with a blank expression on his face. British Bulldog is not grimacing at all. Shawn Michaels, you don't see him like he's applying the pressure at all. They are just standing there. And then finally, Bulldog goes for a a back suplex. Uh, Shawn Michaels flips over, hits the ropes, and then gets caught in a bear hug. And you could hear the voice of Gorilla Monsoon from (laughs) uh, (laughs) from the back episodes of this podcast yelling about him not applying it properly. We get a you know that little flurry of action. Michaels with an insiguri. Uh, Vincent notes, by the way, that that's the move that put Shawn Michaels out uh, with a concussion after Shawn Michaels came back too soon from that beating that we described uh, uh, on the uh, the very episode, first episode yeah. of this podcast. Then at this point, Shawn Michaels locks an armbar, and it is somehow even less physically intense of an <laughs> yes. armbar than that side headlock was. It is clear that he is not even trying to wrench in these holes i don't know if this is i mean this is at the height of all the backstage stories of Shawn michaels i don't know if this was one of those deals that you know he was just trying to make his opponent look bad if he felt like bulldog wasn't with it and so he wasn't going to help him out at all but this uh, I'll, was I'll get just to what i'll brutal. get to what happened but watching this i'm wildly confused just like you are like what is going on here bulldog ends up powering out of this arm hold but uh, by pulling Michaels up and slamming him down. We get some bulldog offense. He picks up Michaels for an over-the-shoulder backbreaker. Uh, Michaels breaks the hold, tries a crucifix, but gets slammed again by the bulldog. Long chin lock by the bulldog. Yeah, this was... Yeah, the, 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 you talked about the Canadian backbreaker. Uh, Lawler's actually funny here, yelling that he said he heard him give up. There's a great moment a little bit earlier where... Uh, I think it's in one of the, I think it's Michaels has a short arm scissors on Bulldog and they show Diana and you can't hear her, but you can read her lips. She just says under her breath, under her breath, wipe the mat with them. And I just, just <laughs> cracked me up, but I wrote down here like another submission hold where they're both just laying here. This feels like a house show match and the Banshee woman is screaming again. Yep. Michaels tries to fight back up. The fans should be cheering, but they're not. 
Michaels and, and Bulldog, they, they bounce off the ropes toward each other. Something missed. I don't know what it was supposed to be, like maybe a knee by the Bulldog or what, but Michaels just goes flying and falls out to the floor. Well, yeah, he goes, he goes, they go, they kind of do like a crisscross or just, you know, they each bounce off the ropes. Michaels stumbles and just kind of improvises and goes flying out to the floor under the bottom rope. But before that, at the end of this long, long, lazy reverse chin lock, as the woman is screaming in the front row, the other thing that's bizarre is Michaels is sitting there in this chin lock, not selling it at all. And then he just throws his palms up in the air, like, yeah. like, like, like sort of a, what are we doing motion? And then they go into this spot that you just described. Very, very bizarre. At this point I typed out what the I have blank some, is I this map. I have some details. We'll get to at the end of this match about what that was. Um, so both back in the ring, both men collide, bonking heads. They're down. We get a light HBK chant. Flying forearm for Michaels, nip up. Michaels to the top, hits a double axe handle. Bulldog sent off the ropes, dropped down by Michaels, and Bulldog runs right into referee Earl Hebner. He kills him, and Hebner just goes flying through the ropes. Earl Hebner was such a great ragdoll taking bumps. (laughs) When he gets hit, he just like... It just dead weights, but also goes flying at the same time. It's it's beautiful to watch. Yeah, he's on the floor. Flying elbow off the top by Michaels. He's setting up for the super kick. Owen tries to come into the ring, but Michaels hits him with the kick, kind of. It, it looked a, a little awkward on the timing. Uh, it wasn't great. Did you also notice that this seemed like this was the beginning of Vince McMahon not wanting A, to call referees referees. He keeps calling Hebner the official, the official and he also... Yeah never calls him by the by his name. He just calls him the official. It's one of those weird WWF speak things that I thought came much later. Uh, but this it was here in 1996. The distraction allows Bulldog to regain control. We've got a new official now. And uh, Bulldog <laughs> gets Michaels up for his running power slam finisher. Michaels slips off, shoves Bulldog chest first into the buckle. Michaels with a German suplex. Holds it with a bridge. There's a three count. And then we hear the British Bulldogs music. The referee raises the Bulldogs hand. Howard Finkel announces him as the new WWF champion. Diana grabs the belt. Cornette leaps into the arms of Bulldog to celebrate. Owens in the ring. The original ref, Earl Hebner, is back in. He raises the hand to Shawn Michaels. Finkel then announces, and still WWF champion, while Michael's music plays. The refs argue in the ring. Diana then leaves with the belt. This is so great. Diana leaves with the belt. She goes into the entranceway. She stands in the entranceway and holds the belt up. And then appearing out of the void. Wait, 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 wait. Stop right there. She holds the belt up and does one of my biggest pet peeves in professional wrestling. She holds the belt upside down. (laughs) It's upside down over her head. I hate when people do that. Take a a second. She holds it up. Especially the winged eagle belt. The winged eagle belt upside down over her head. Unless she was trying to troll me, this was unacceptable. 
Maybe it was like a mayday thing. It was like a distress signal. But either way, she holds it over her head and then coming out of like the void behind her is Gorilla Monsoon. And he just calmly all in one motion as he's walking, takes the belt out of her hands uh, and, and, ring, yeah. wa- and slowly walks he's, his way to the ring. Gorilla Monsoon, the commissioner he's the of the President. World Wrestling he's, Federation. He, or the he's president. the successor of Jack Tunney as president of the World Wrestling Federation. Monsoon has a sidebar discussion with both the refs. Clearly, both shoulders were down for the three count on the replay. Both Michaels and Bulldog both were down for the three count. Uh, Both refs counted different men's shoulders down for three. So Monsoon declares it a draw, which is absolutely the correct ruling. This was totally fine. This was absolutely correct, but kind of lame for... The fans um, call an audible here. I know this is a pay per view, <laughs> but my God, these what these people sat through a terrible or a, a fine opener that went way too long, and then matches the, in the watch, dark, watching matches in the dark, and then this is their reward. Yes, also so they were mad. I have thoughts about this finish. Okay, because he for one, Michael's hit a German suplex. He never ever does that move. Whatever, that's fine. If this finish is what it is, every single three count German suplex in the history of pro wrestling should be a draw because every single time you execute a German suplex, unless you're one of a few people that does a perfect bridge on the top of their head, every single time your shoulders are down. And really it's the worst move you could ever do if that's the case, because if someone kicks out of the German suplex, then you lose then because you lose. your shoulders you, you, are still down. If so the, yeah, if you're executing the bridge, ridiculous. Yeah, if you're executing a German with a bridge, you have to roll a shoulder at some point. Otherwise, yes, yes, which never happened. Never and happened. I can think of like two or three <laughs> people in the history of pro wrestling, none of them uh, being in WWF at this time, that could actually hit a, a a beautiful bridge to the point to where their shoulders would not be on the mat. So the, this finish, from that sense, was completely nonsensical. Michaels keeps the title on a draw with the champion's advantage. 17 minutes, 21 seconds. Now, Michaels and Smith were said to have been furious about how this match turned out because it didn't obviously come anywhere close to the standards either had set for themselves going in. It was terrible. And they were frustrated that a rematch wasn't scheduled for the impromptu show two days later. Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter reports, neither Michaels nor Smith supposedly knew that their match on in Florence this, this night was going to air on the pay-per-view, and they thought they were simply doing a house show match wow. and would be doing a different finish than planned. The real match would take place two days later as part of the Make Good show. At one point during the match... The signal got to referee Earl Hebner, who informed both wrestlers that the match was airing, that there would be no rematch on Tuesday, and they were to change the match, shorten the match to fit into the pay-per-view window, and go back to the double play, the double pin finish as planned. Is that was that moment when Earl Hebner got that word and related to them? Was that in that chin lock I, where Sean went palms up? I it almost know. had to be. It, it almost had to be, but this time. They had already done a number of rest holds, and and they were building to a longer match. But B, 
because of the power outage, the crowd live wasn't as responsive as expected. And Michaels, by this point, already knew that the match was below par and apparently felt it was beyond redemption. In addition, some of his concentration on the match was taken away by a heckling fan at ringside. And his swearing at the fan, calling her a fat cow while being held in a headlock by Smith... That explains that part of it. It it wound up turning the other fans in her section against Michaels. (laughs) This only frustrated him more, with him eventually exploding at the guy who cued the music in the post-match outburst that was aired originally, but was later edited off of the replay. So we didn't see it here. It wow. was yeah, it was a two-way street as Smith was also apparently frustrated by everything that was going on. Both Michaels and Smith were said to have been upset with the quality of their match and the decision not to have the rematch on Tuesday. Yeah, that's incredible that they did not do the rematch. No, that's I I'm glad that you did the research on that explanation because that match certainly deserved an explanation because <laughs> yes, it, it did. was it was as far as a world title match that we've watched on you know the 30 plus episodes of this podcast that we've done if you're listening linearly that might have been the worst world title match we've seen it's up there yeah and now so now the show cuts to beware of dog 2 and this is the airing of the tuesday after the original pay-per-view and a breath of fresh air comes oh, through as as the sweet sound in my ears of Jim Ross on commentary with Mr. Perfect. And JR was absolutely incredible on this show. And I was shocked at how much of a nothing actually Mr. Perfect was. Yeah. But Perfect Jim Ross, was, unbelievable. Perfect was there. Jim Ross, I honestly don't think I've heard him better and more enthusiastic on a WWF call ever. And not in that, like you get into the later nineties in the two thousands, there's that certain like Jim Ross way over the top, you know, you Jezebel, you know, that sort of thing. But this was, this was Jim Ross at his like early nineties WCW style best here in the WWF in 1996. I, I, I was shocked. And it was so great. We're in North Charleston for this show, so with the power out, uh, apparently the two nights before when the power was out, they had a strap match with Steve Austin versus Savio Vega, which we did not see on the Sunday show because the, the footage was unairable, like I mentioned. They went over 15 minutes in the dark strapping each other. And we, we got a clip. Yeah, we got a very short clip of that as this match was going to start. And just the one thing I'll say, without spoiling this match as we'll go through it, is if they did one-tenth of what they did here on Tuesday, if they did that on Sunday in the dark and then came back two days later and did this, I don't even know because this this is a... Yeah, people, this is a physically intense match. People reported that that match was the best match of the night in the dark. So, oh, yeah. I believe it. <laughs> uh, on Monday Night Raw, so the Monday between the Sunday and Tuesday shows, that Raw, Austin's manager, the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase, added a stipulation that if Austin doesn't win this match, then the million-dollar man will leave the WWF. 
This stipulation was added because DiBiase gave his notice a few days earlier to WWF that he would be leaving for WCW when his contract expires in August of that year. He accepted a three-year deal with WCW. And he went to WCW to basically be the manager of the NWO, which kind of gets lost, uh, you know, through the, the later years of the NWO that Ted DiBiase was a major part of it, you know, before the whole, the, the Bischoff part of the angle. Um, also noteworthy here that this is, so this is Steve Austin. He's being called Stone Cold Steve Austin. He has his head shaved. He's wearing the Austin, you know, the, the black trunks, black boots, no knee braces at this point, but he is still like, he is halfway between ringmaster Steve Austin, which is what he was brought as in the WWF. Uh, with Ted DiBiase as his manager, as the new million-dollar champion. He's kind of halfway between that and what we would begin to know him uh, as the Stone Cold Steve Austin character. And to me, that's best summed up by when the match starts, Jim Ross says basically that Steve Austin is a completely unemotional competitor. It's like, no, he's not. (laughs) We get a graphic with the rules for the Caribbean strap match. So... The rules must be simple. <laughs> the Number one, the left wrist of each opponent will be connected by a 10-foot leather strap. Number two, the first superstar to touch all four corners in succession wins. Number three, pinfalls and submissions do not count. So basically, basically the rules of every strap match ever. <laughs> except not the country whipping strap match or whatever. It was the corporal the punishment, corporal punishment match. match from capital combat 90 return yes. of RoboCop, which was the rock and roll express versus the Freebirds. Make sure you pull up that episode in our back catalog. If Savio Vega loses, he will become the chauffeur for Ted DiBiase. We also learned that Savio Vega, according to, uh, their research is 31 and 0 in Caribbean strap matches going back to his time, obviously pre uh, pre WWF. Uh, I don't think they're talking about like that. He did any, any strap matches no. as Quang the ninja, but back in his, his, uh, his pre WWF days. Let's talk about the uh, production here. You mentioned earlier yes. that it was a house show fitted for a pay-per-view. I loved this. I thought Bring so me too. more of this, the, the hard, let's start with the hard camera positioning. Uh, it was on the side of the ring facing toward the entrance, not the yes. normal side of the ring where the hard camera uh, is accustomed to being on a WWF show. Really, the only time at the, back then that you would ever get this hard camera location would be at Madison Square Garden, yep. where you'd be shooting towards the entranceway. It's a very, very small entrance structure, if you can even call it that. Um, no in-your-house set. It to me, what this felt like, it felt like watching. Uh, I don't know if you had the MSG network oddly as a kid here, you know, when we moved back from, from New Orleans in the mid 80s, I was living, you know, in, in suburban Chicago. We got the MSG network. It was half the time it was that, half the time it was like QVC or home shopping network. But like every month, there would be house shows from MSG that would be shown on there. And that's, that was the look and feel of this. I, I, it it was from a visual presentation standpoint, maybe the least WWF show I've ever seen. Definitely was uh, was quite a change. We get back and forth early. Austin on the outside. Savio keeps pulling him in, ramming him into the ring apron. 
DiBiase, the good manager on the outside, like a pro, screams, slide under, back inside, which <laughs> Austin does. Well, and it's awesome, too, because this immediately sets kind of the expectation, the understanding of how this is different from a regular match. These two men are are, are strapped together, and you know you can't get away. If you try to get away, you're going to get pulled back in. Uh, kind of like uh, the the strap match, the the Indian strap match, as it was called, on the uh, the most unusual matches show that we reviewed a few weeks back. Yeah, from uh, the late seventies, uh, with one of the most. If you go back and listen to the most unusual matches podcast, we talk about one of the most insane things I've ever seen on a wrestling show. Yes. At the end of that match involving a fan, go back and and check that out. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, here, Austin bails out over the top rope to the floor. More whipping by Savio, who brings Austin back in with a suplex. Well, you are underselling the whipping here. So the, these are leather straps. And there are times where he whips he whips Austin hard in the back. And then he will whip Austin hard, like in the face. Yes. Like across the chest, but also sometimes in the face. Face. This was these were these were brutal. not. He was not. No, neither man was pulling pulling up on these whipping shots here. Like this strap was going. They were swinging hard and connecting hard. And yes, it, whatever whatever the Freebirds and the Rock and Roll Express left on the table at Capital Combat, these guys picked up six years later, brought to South Carolina, and dished out to each other. This was this was violent. Savio's the first to try to touch corners. He goes for a third, but Austin yanks the strap and Savio flips over. Austin now starts whipping Savio with the strap. Including one to the back of the head. Oh, And and JR is going nuts at this point. And the announcing is such an upgrade. I'm like, wow, this is so different. This is so much better. Yeah, this is JR, like the closest I've ever heard him. This match is the closest I've ever heard him to War Games 1992 at WrestleWar 92. Like he he was, this is exactly the type of wrestling that Jim Ross loves. And he did an incredible job of getting across the uh, the urgency and just the violence and the brutality and the, the hatred between the two wrestlers. Austin ties the strap around Savio's ankle, drags him to two buckles, but Savio breaks free. Austin backdrops him to the floor he pulls Austin to the floor with him. They, they, some more brawling back in the ring. Well, so- Austin goes flying over the top rope. Like he, when he he pulled the Savio goes over, and as he goes over, like the momentum of the rope pulls Austin over, and he goes recklessly flying over. Yeah, and back in the ring, Savio is, he gets three corners, and Austin then trips Savio to stop the count. So they had a lot of creative. Uh, you know, in place of the near falls, a lot of creative yes. uh, multi-corner, uh, how do you break it kind of move. It was one of the things that I don't recall having seen before or since in a, a strap match or a Russian chain match or a dog collar match that all have these same rules. It was, the match was interesting because it was both a very traditional strap match, but also very creative. Yes. And Austin at this point snaps. And he just starts laying into Savio with some brutal whippings. They were fast and just brutal and intense. And it was classic Austin intensity. And just, I was I was cringing on the couch watching Savio take yes. these lashings. Austin then's crotched on the top rope. 
Superplex by Savio. This was more terrifying than it needed to be. I don't. He couldn't get his footing quite right, and it was. It, it looked scary up there, but he got the superplex. Savio touches three corners. Austin then gets between Savio and the last buckle, and Austin with a double leg takedown into a spine buster breaks the count. Austin. Well, the great thing too is not only does he hit the spine buster, he gets in between them. He picks him up for the spine buster, and then he carries him to the middle of the ring and spine busters him just to make absolutely certain there's no way Savio is able to somehow roll through or parlay this into getting that, uh, that fourth buckle. Austin teases a tombstone. Savio reverses. Austin reverses again. And Savio goes up and over the top to the floor. Savio's on the outside. Austin's on the top rope. And Savio pulls Austin off the top to the floor and he goes crashing into the guardrail. He goes flying through the air over the ring post, down to the floor into the guardrail. This was insane. Seeing Steve Austin fly outside like that was absolutely nuts. It was. This was completely wild. It was. It was also the only thing I can I can uh, criticize with the announcing is that neither Jim Ross nor Mister Perfect grasped that that's what happened. Clearly, Savio pulled him, and that's why he went flying. Both Ross and Perfect seem to call this as if Steve Austin went for a plancha off the corner <laughs> and missed and crash and burn headfirst into the guardrail. Uh, either way, a crazy spot, but that clearly wasn't what happened. He got pulled off, and then we get Savio whipping him more. Austin uh, counters by driving him back and leg first hard into the stairs. Uh, but then, and so they're sort of on opposite ends of the post. At this point, Savio then grabs the strap and pulls Austin face first into the guardrail. Um, and you, you can't like, this is one of those things you need to go back and watch this because we're describing this, we're describing individual spots, but the combination of, of Jim Ross on commentary and just the intensity of these two guys. I know I said it about the, the presentation of this show, the second night of this, this in your house event. But this match also, this did not feel like a WWF match. Just no. in terms of the the violence and the 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 hatred in the match, this it, it was very 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 well done. Yeah, in another creative spot, Savio puts Austin on his shoulders, fireman's carry position, touches two of the buckles before Austin fights to keep him from hitting the third. Savio gets it anyway. He goes for the fourth. And Austin yanks on the strap as hard as he can. And Savio is yanked back hard by the arm. That was, yeah. Oof. Austin with a pile driver. DiBiase then screams, one more. Give him one more time. Yeah. Austin at this point is ready to go for, you know, just take him around the take him around the ring, get the four corners and be done with it. The announcer is saying, you know, this is it. It's done. But Ted DiBiase with his hatred of Savio Vega here says he wants one more pile driver. Austin goes for it. Savio counters it into a backdrop, and Ted is throwing a fit on the floor, knowing that he may have just uh, may have sealed his own fate here. Austin's able to get on the million dollar dream. Austin's on Savio's back. He touches two. Savio's going around. He touches two of the buckles, starts to fade, kicks off the third corner to break the hold. Well, what's going on here? I just want to make sure people are clear. Is Austin is touching the buckle, and then Savio is touching the buckle as well. 
And so Austin wraps the strap around Savio's neck, and he starts dragging him. Savio, like you mentioned, is touching each corner after Austin touches it. So, But Austin, Austin doesn't know. Austin can't tell that this is happening behind him as he drags him to each corner. They have a tug-of-war with the strap. Austin then pulls Savio, who launches into the fourth and final buckle, winning the match. Your winner is Savio Vega. Austin just leaves, walks out. He's angry. Well, first, it happens, and he, it's great, too, because Austin doesn't even realize initially that Savio won because he doesn't know that Savio already touched the three turnbuckles. Yep. So that's, that is why... He was not, you know, in any fear of, oh, if I do this, Savio is going to touch the corner and it's over, you know, from the storyline perspective of the match. He's that that concern isn't in his head. Yeah. Austin's gone. He leaves. He's angry. Savio then sings the goodbye song to to Ted DiBiase. He's gone. This was 21 minutes, 27 seconds of just an awesome match. I was so impressed. This was great. This you say this is a this match was 21 minutes. Think about the opener went like 16 or 17 <laughs> yep. minutes. The world title match went 16 or 17 minutes. This went 21 and I never once even thought about checking, you know, no. checking my phone to see how you know, what time it was. This flew by. It was compelling from the moment it started till the moment it ended. Uh you know, you can look back and I think I've heard interviews where Austin has said this like how how big of a role this feud played in his his career in the WWF and getting him to that next level. And you could certainly see it here. Uh, if Savio Vega's ever had a, a, a better match, I've never seen no, it. No, this, this is, is by far the best match I've seen him do. This is top-tier stuff for what we've seen in the, the many, many shows we've reviewed in this podcast. Shawn Michaels is chatting on America <laughs> Online, and this You're man... Being- has no idea how to type. He's hunting and pecking. He's struggling to find where letters are on the keyboard. This was it, not great. This he, should not have aired. He should not have aired. You say hunting and pecking. He was hunting for about 30 seconds before the first peck occurred. He was. We get this shot from behind, and it's just him looking at the screen as though he's never seen a computer no, monitor like, before. Where is the letter C? Where? Yes. <laughs> it just went on and on and on like a triple h armbar versus wild man mark miro and then finally he started pecking and then it just you know they told us you could chat with Shawn michaels on america online i'm like i bet i can't because he can't vader's with jim Cornette. he's taking on yoko zuna who is gigantic way overweight for yoko zuna standards yeah they introduced him as being 660 pounds, which he was not 660, but he was massive here. They tell us that the, we see a little bit of video and they tell us the backstory that seven weeks ago, Vader broke the leg or nearly broke the leg of Yokozuna with three Vader bombs in the corner to the leg. And we are told that they had to take him out on a forklift, which I had completely forgotten about. But then I did when they mentioned this, I did recall uh, seeing that. So, so that was like, that, that's great, right? Like he's, he took him out. Great revenge story. But then the Yokozuna comes out for the entrance. There's no knee brace. There's no tape. He's by Yokozuna standards walking fine. So that, that was kind of odd. Lots of stalling by Vader at the start here. They keep teasing. The two big fat guys will run and smash into each other, but yes, no, we have more stalling. 
Vader is a former longtime football player, NFL player. Vader gets down in the three-point stance like he's at the line of scrimmage. Yokozuna gets down in his sumo stance. We see a couple of great camera shots. But yes, three times, three times they tease this before it happens. And I'm like, well, maybe they also, I guess I should be thinking at this point, told these guys, well, this match is part of the house show portion. <laughs> You're not on pay-per-view. Because they were they were doing a lot of stalling here before things finally got going. I was also amused by uh, as it finally gets going. Uh, Jim Cornette, I guess as the match is starting, Jim Cornette gets up on the ropes. Jim Ross is very upset. I'm like, oh, that tracks. Jim Ross never likes any any manager interference. Even even in in modern days, he gets very offended by that. And wants the ref to do their job. Yeah, they finally do run at each other, and Yoko runs him over, clotheslines him over the top rope. This. This might be the first time I've ever seen babyface Yokozuna, and it's weird. Yeah. It's weird. He's pumping his fist to the crowd. He's got They're big getting smile. Into it. He's smiling and having a good It was <laughs> weird, man. And uh, It was very, I had no recollection of babyface Yokozuna, but the, the denizens of North Charleston, Carol, uh, South Carolina here on a Tuesday night, they were with it. This crowd here was great, by the way. They were just so much You got to figure, too, these people of uh, the fine folks of North Charleston, probably bought these tickets very low price expecting to see a, you know, just a house show. And instead they get a worldwide pay-per-view event. So these people were, they were fired up. Vader goes to slam Yokozuna, but hurts his back on the attempt. JR then says, quote, the only man he can recall slamming Yokozuna was Ahmed Johnson. Now, I wrote down all caps. What about the Lex Express? Exactly. This is only three years after Luger slammed Yokozuna on that aircraft carrier. Come on, JR. The only thing I can draw from this, the only conclusion I can draw is that Bobby Heenan had convinced Jim Roth at some point in the intervening three years that it was, in fact, only a hip toss. (laughs) Also, before we go any further... Uh, there was the, the great spot where Yokozuna hits like a, a single leg takedown and drops a giant elbow on Vader's leg. The elbow drop broke Vader's knee brace and knee pad. <laughs> Literally it? broke it in half. Amazing. Uh, Uranagi by Yoko, Avalanche, Samoan drop on Vader. Yokozuna starts to climb the ropes for a bonsai drop, but Cornette on the apron takes a swing with the racket. Yoko grabs the arm and the racket, pulls him into the ring. Cornette offers Yokozuna a handshake, which Yoko accepts by squeezing Cornette's hand, a headbutt. (laughs) He goes for the bonsai drop on Cornette, but Vader pulls him out of the way. Yoko misses. He's down. Vader works on that injured leg of Yokozuna, like you mentioned. Follows it up with a Vader bomb. Vader gets the pin. Eight minutes, 53 seconds. This match had a different finish. The match during the power outage had Yokozuna winning. So this one was different. Vader gets the win. Eight minutes, 53 seconds. It was nice to see Vader win a match here on pay-per-view in the WWF because that wasn't that uh, that common. But it was also very, very strange to see Vader's this like weaselly, scared, cheating heel. heel. It was so weird to see him. I know he's against Yokozuna and he's 660 pounds. But still, to see Vader in this role when you're so used to seeing him being this like fearless, dominant champion who really he's a heel, 
because he just is big and bad and beats up the, uh, you know, uh, everybody's favorite wrestlers. But he wasn't like a guy who constantly took a ton of shortcuts. And then here, this was just like, it was like he was a, like a mid-card Memphis heel. It was very strange. We're told about the King of the Ring, the next pay-per-view. Shawn Michaels defends the title against the British Bulldog in the rematch from their terrible match two nights before. And Can we talk about the video package, the video feature, the promo that they ran for the upcoming King of the Ring show? I, I, I took notes on this. I'm going to do this as much justice as I can. There, there are children begging Jerry Lawler for food. Oh, this, yeah. There's, I, I did there's not take a dog. I just, I just had a question mark. <laughs> there's a dog there. Then Jerry Lawler is in a ring in heaven. It's all white. He's in a white void. There's a ring. There's fog. He's in heaven. Then he gets attacked by Elvis and a pharaoh. Then there's other people wearing headsets around the ring. They're saying he's not a king. It ends with what I'm assuming is Vince McMahon painted up like the devil and a fake Elvis saying thank you very much as the graphic for King of the Ring 1996 plays. Yeah, it was not a great video. For everything that people say rightfully so about like Cactus Jack, Lost in Cleveland, or the uh, the the Bash at the Beach '93 boat thing, uh, this is every bit as weird and bad. I guess the only positive is they didn't spend as much money on it. But what in the world did I just watch? Yeah, then they run down some of the other matches. The tag champs are the Smoking Guns. They'll defend against the Godwins. And a match that I am intrigued to see, the Ultimate Warrior against the aforementioned Jerry the King Lawler. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a match that's happening in, in real life. So we're to the main event of the second show here. This is the casket match for the WWF Intercontinental Championship. The only way to win is to put your opponent into the casket and close the lid. We see a recap of Gold Dust Feud with Ahmed Johnson from Raw. <laughs> Did we ever? This recap includes an unconscious Ahmed Johnson on a gurney being wheeled to an ambulance in the back. Gold Dust stops it and gives him mouth to mouth, wakes up Ahmed. Ahmed freaks out when he realizes when he has the, the, the gold makeup of Gold Dust on, on his person and then proceeds to just spear a guy through a door. <laughs> so the Intercontinental Champion Gold Dust is in the ring first. The challenger, the Undertaker, accompanied by Paul Bearer. Uh, also, by the way, we don't have uh, Howard Finkel doing uh, no. ring announcing for the second show. Paul Bearer comes down the entranceway, but... Undertaker is already in the ring. He's standing behind Goldust, who does not realize it yet. Right hand, and we are underway. It's all Taker early. Well, we are underway. We are underway with Undertaker in what I had completely forgotten. This is the purple boots and purple rubber gloves era of the <laughs> yes, Dead Man Undertaker character uh, that started, if you recall, I believe the first time he wore that gear was when he came back at SummerSlam 94 to wrestle the fake Undertaker uh, played by Brian Lee, who wore the, the traditional gray boots and gray gloves. So he, he, I guess I completely forgot, but I guess he stuck with this gear for a while. Yeah, outside 
Taker rams Goldust hard face first into the steps, then face first into the closed casket. Back in the ring, we get the top rope walk by Taker. But then Goldust, with a slam, doesn't matter. Taker sits sits up right away. Gold- At this point, Jim Ross says that the Undertaker, who is very tall but very thin, is 328 pounds. <laughs> he, is, he is almost exactly 0.5 Yokozunas. <laughs> Goldust went for the move where his opponent bends over for a backdrop and he slides under and punches him from the ground. He tried it here, but misses the punch. And... He missed completely. This drop-down uppercut was... Uh, it did not go well. It, it, he missed it completely, but he gets up, uh, kicks the Undertaker in the stomach, and then hits him with a tombstone. <laughs> yes, he goes... He hit, he hit him with a tombstone to no reaction from the crowd. <laughs> like, no. I, I'm like, like what, what is going on? This great crowd... Uh, should be going nuts because Undertaker just got hit with a tombstone. Well, I, no. I think the problem was that the conquering hero of North Charleston, South Carolina, Yokozuna, <laughs> had just been defeated, and so these people were deflated. Yeah, Taker ends up sitting up again. This got a reaction. Seated clothesline to Taker, and Goldust rolls him into the casket, but can't close the lid. Taker fights well, we- back. We also get the casket cam, which I put on par with Refereye as far as great, great technological innovations in pro wrestling history. Uh, it is, uh, it, there is a great moment though, where, so he goes in, uh, the crowd starts chanting rest in peace. Taker punches out before Goldust can close the lid. Um, and then we get this great shot where the lid closes for a second and we see the, just the darkness of the, the closed casket from the inside. And I, I don't know if that was an intentional production choice or not, but it, either way, it, it added to the effect of what, you know, what either man will be experiencing when this match is over. Both men on the outside, Goldust choking Taker with a camera cable. JR reminds us that there's no disqualifications in this match. That'll come into play later. In the ring, we get a sleeper by Goldust, and Taker's out. Goldust puts him in the casket, but Taker gets his arm out as the lid closes so the lid won't shut. A great visual. It's like Undertaker. I believe there was, I don't know if they did a video feature or something at one point where like he reaches his arm from out from the actual grave. Like that's what this was. Yeah, Goldust with all his weight trying to push it closed, but Taker powers out. Goldust flies off. The lid flies off. It looks yeah. like it's detached from the casket at this point. They fight on the outside. Goldust getting in good shots. And in the ring, he hits a power slam. And then a flying clothesline off the top by Goldust. This is a shocking amount of offense by Goldust he, here. He looked great here. And yeah, I think you can't overstate going into this match what most people would have expected, which is... Just Undertaker running through Goldust. The Goldust character was certainly not one that that was dominant on offense with a lot of physicality. Here, this is one of those Goldust matches where he basically wrestled as Dustin Rhodes with face paint. Yeah, it was it was amazing the amount of offense that, that he got on Undertaker. He goes for a pin. He counts the three himself, so you get the visual <laughs> pin here on the Undertaker. Yeah. But it's a casket match. That does not count. So at this point I'm wondering like 
Did, did he somehow get lumped in with the click guys? And is he getting punished for some reason here? Because this is, I mean, this isn't again, like road warriors, Pez Watley, uh, well, nothing, uh, nothing uh, is but it was just, like that. Yeah. it was just weird. Like you said, particularly the visual pin they were, I mean, Goldust was a major character for them at this time. So it, you know, it makes sense, but still a little weird. Yeah. Goldust up top. He's going to go do the undertaker rope walk, but taker pulls him off the top. Like, Savio Vega did to Austin earlier. <laughs> so you mean Goldust went for a flying cross body and missed, <laughs> according to the announcer. Taker picks him up, hits the tombstone. On the edge of the ring, which we all know is the hardest part of the ring. So that was interesting to see, especially with those WWF rings. Undertaker opens the casket to put Goldust in, but Mankind is in the casket. He grabs Undertaker with the mandible claw. Taker is out mankind puts him into the casket and closes the lid your and then winner sits on the casket your winner and still intercontinental champion is gold dust so in a trivia uh, contest if you asked uh guys who had a win in a casket match yeah. over the undertaker I wouldn't have got gold dust in 50 guesses. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I, I, uh, I had no recollection of this show and I certainly didn't have any recollection of that finish. Uh, at this point though, as I mentioned, uh, mankind is sitting on the casket. He's pulling his own hair out. He's screaming that like cactus Jack, like squealing pig scream. Uh, and then the casket starts smoking for some reason. Yes, he, he gets off the casket as we see smoke coming out of the closed casket. Paul Bearer opens the casket, but Taker is gone. We get a close-up of shocked Paul Bearer face, which was Screaming, awesome. Oh no, he's <laughs> gone in the most Paul Bearer voice ever, which is fantastic. Lights are out as the Undertaker music plays and the show goes off the air. 12 minutes, 36 seconds. This was quite an eventful show over two (laughs) nights uh, at a pivotal time in wrestling as the Monday Night Wars were just about to go to a whole new level. Uh, This this was a show I would have never watched, but uh, I am glad I did for that Savio Vega and Steve Austin match. That's my best match. What do you think? Absolutely. I agree for the exact same reason. This show is worth watching for one reason and one reason only. Well, two, that that crazy acid trip of a King of the Ring video uh, <laughs> promo. But uh, no, that Savio Vega-Steve Austin match was just great, great stuff. One of the very best things we've watched on any of these shows we've reviewed for this podcast, go out of your way, uh, plumb the depths of the network to, to find this show fired up and watch that match. Uh, really can't say a single bad thing about that one. Now, worst match. Oof. That is tough. It's I tough. am actually going to say, I'm going to say the world title match because granted they had so much working against it. But it was bad. It was weird. It was disjointed. Uh, the the opener was too long, but it was fine. It was fine, but Un- too long. Correct. Yeah. Undertaker and Yokozuna, or excuse me, Vader and Yokozuna was again. That would be the other match I would put in that mix. But it was it was inoffensive. It was only eight minutes. The casket match was you know better than I expected, given the amount of offense, like you said, that that Goldust ended up getting, which I wouldn't have thought. Uh, so yeah, I'm actually going to go with. 
the world title match between Davy Boy Smith and, and Shawn, Shawn Michaels. Michaels. I know. I think I have to agree. I'm, uh, you know, you can make a case for Vader and and Yokozuna not having. You know the fat guy match we wanted yeah. them to have. Uh, you know we like those big hoss fat guy matches. But... Yeah, big mean guy matches are a favorite of this podcast, and that didn't it didn't live up to that standard. But it it also was it was about what you would have expected given how they booked Vader. Yeah, it was in that company, and it was better than Yokozuna and Mabel from yes. that first in your house episode yes. one as well. Um, so yeah, I, I, I could go, uh, I think I'm going to have to agree that, uh, for the first time ever, a Shawn Michaels match falls into the worst match category and any, any final thoughts before we call it a podcast and we call it a season. Well, it's been fun. That's for sure. I know uh, you and I had been talking for a long time about, you know, doing a wrestling podcast, uh, together. We each have our own uh, outside podcast ventures beyond this one. And we've been talking about a concept of, you know, how, how can we do this? How would it be different? How would it be fun for us first and foremost uh, and fun for people to listen? And I, I've, I've certainly gotten a lot of enjoyment out of these last uh, 34, 33, however many episodes it's been because the, the charter of this show is, uh, you know, a, everything's going to be random and B the result of that is going to be, we're going to end up watching professional wrestling shows and matches that we would have otherwise never have chosen to watch on our own, you know, and end up either seeing things that we hadn't seen in a long time uh, and see if they held up or watching things that we had never seen before. So yeah, I, I, uh, I've enjoyed this greatly and I look forward to, uh, to it continuing because we're, we're taking a short break, but we're not going anywhere. We're, uh, we're going to be back doing this very soon. Yeah, no, I agree. This, you know, this past season, you know, when we started this, we fire up the randomizer. We don't know what we're going to get. And uh, we were always hoping that even the shows that looked like they would be no good, we would find at least a match we would have never have gone out or seeked out. And and that happened on countless occasions. I mean, the the women's match from the AWA show with... uh, uh, Wendy Richter and, uh, and and Judy Grable, they that match was one of my favorites that we reviewed on this show, and I would have Absolutely. never gone out of my way to see that match. And well, that match in some ways is to me that that kind of crystallizes everything I was hoping the show would be. It was a it was from a show I would have never watched. It was a match that I did not go in with any any expectations one way or the other on, and then was completely blown away by. Hundred percent and. And and so we we've got a, a list of, of those matches uh, and 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 characters along the way. Like uh, I mentioned earlier, how much we enjoyed every single time we saw Ernie Ladd on this podcast. We enjoyed uh, you know it, so many uh, different promotions. Uh, I enjoyed a a crazy match. I didn't know what was happening at the opener of that Sapporo show with a karate yes. guy I didn't know, and some and and, and yeah that. That's the kind of uh, stuff I would have never looked for either, and and enjoyed highly. So 
No, the this Jason was... Jet Kwee match being maybe the best opener of anything we've watched uh, on this podcast. No, just a lot of really, uh, a lot of really different things. Jesse Ventura speaking kind of the voice of us on so many of these shows, <laughs> yes. wondering what's going on. Lord Alfred Hayes losing his mind when Davy Boy Smith wins the Battle Royal. And more than anything else, you rediscovering your love of Greg the Hammer Valentine. Never did I know that I did not, that I had a disdain <laughs> for Greg the Hammer Valentine matches until I had to sit through way too many of them on this show. So it wasn't all good. We did have some bad, and that was Hammer Valentine's matches. And and we did have uh, some some shows that, uh, uh, you know, didn't live up to the hype. And we, we, we but we did, uh, you know, nothing will upset me more than people listening to part two of the WrestleMania 19 <laughs> podcast more than part one. The the download numbers are not equal, and it drives me absolutely insane. Yeah. I don't know who the savages are that go and listen to only part two of that episode, but uh, part one, really good, too. You should listen to the entire WrestleMania 19 podcast. Absolutely. My other takeaway from this show is that while Limp Biscuit is the wwe's favorite band they are not the favorite band of this podcast no not at all and uh yeah go back and listen to our hot takes on limp biscuit through the years <laughs> um it it's uh surprising you know how many uh you know how many matches we saw of undertaker through the years yeah uh, i think of fatu rikishi being another rikishi one of those guys that popped up in so many different incarnations, whether it be Simone SWAT team making a difference, Rikishi. Uh, we saw a lot of think about, you know, we talked about on the show, a lot of the the career trajectory of Triple H, you know, from Hunter Hearst Helmsley to uh, uh, to the different forms that he took, you know, almost as cosplay Ric Flair in 2003. Uh, we saw Ric Flair Rick. in several instances where he was a manager or a semi-retired wrestler still stealing the show uh, when he was not being put in a position to do that. No, we got a we got a Ric Flair Ricky Steamboat match from a glorified house show yes. that we would have never watched if it wasn't yes. for this show. And and yeah, Ric Flair through the years uh was my favorite wrestler coming in. We were curious if stuff would hold up. It exceeded my expectations going back and watching it through the Absolutely. eyes of today. Unreal. Everything in ring, in ring, outside of the ring as a manager promos, the insane promos that he cut uh, on that capital combat show. For God's sakes, we saw RoboCop in this podcast. <laughs> so, so with that, we're going to call it a season. Like you mentioned, Adam, we will be back after a short hiatus for season two. We're going to, we need to take some time to reprime the randomizer. We're going to pump it full of more and more shows to choose from. We will, uh, we will we'll run it, we'll fire it up, and we will come back with a Season 2 trailer. That'll be the next thing in your feed, so you want to make sure you stay subscribed. You want to take these th this time to go back through the catalog. We're giving you time to catch up. If you miss some of these shows, take the time to catch up. Tell your friends about the podcast. We rely on your word of mouth. So tell tell your wrestling fan friends. Tell your friends who used to be wrestling fans about the show. Have them subscribe so they're ready. They can go back, catch up on some of the season one episodes. Be ready for season two. And again, this would be a good time as well for let's say you have a 
a wrestling fan friend or a lapsed wrestling fan friend who you know they were a fan of WCW in 1997 or they were a fan of like the Hulkamania era of WWF, pick out, you know, pick out a show uh, that, that covers that time period and send it to them and, and, you know, spread the pro wrestling love that way. And, and also, as I always say, I mean, you got like 34 episodes now that you can, you can send to someone who you know doesn't like you, but you know they love wrestling. Uh, you know, you can, uh, you can bridge the gap that way. Again, all the links to our social media. We'd love to interact with you from Twitter. Even if you're going back and listening to episode one and you want to comment on Rikishi's jacket, you can send <laughs> us a tweet and we and will respond. To the, compared to the jacket that Shawn Michaels was wearing in that same show, because there are similarities <laughs> and differences. Yeah, we, we, we still want to hear from you. It's not, it's not too old to make a comment no. about. Send us a comment. We'd love to hear from everyone who's listening to the show. We want to respond and interact with you. Again, Twitter at Wrestle at Random, Wrestling at Random at gmail.com. All of the links to the back catalog available at the website, Wrestling at Random.com. So with that, we're going to call it an episode. We're going to call it a podcast. We're going to call it a season. Stay subscribed. We will be back soon for the Season 2 trailer. Uh, Adam, I want to thank you for joining us. Definitely. Thank you, Jeremy. This has been a... uh... An odyssey for sure, and I can't wait for it to start up all over again very soon. I want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.